The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. This week, we're delving into Europe's energy crisis. Welcome back to The Views Room, the podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Amy Donlan, coming to you from London. Europe's hopes of tackling soaring energy prices were dashed this week when Russian President Vladimir Putin cut off the gas supply, sending prices into the stratosphere. So as the winter looms large, what are countries like the UK and across the continent doing to alleviate the pain on consumers and businesses? Is there hope that the steps that some countries are taking will help create better energy security? And when will Russia begin to feel the squeeze of this lost revenue? Tune in as I speak to our oil and gas guru, George Hay, Lisa Yuka, who's been looking at all issues across the continent, and our Russian expert, Pierre Brailson. There is one big topic that is dominating a lot of the news flow in Europe, and that is energy. And to be more specific, an energy crisis. Here to speak to me about what's happening is George Hay, who covers oil and gas for Breaking Views, Lisa Yuka, who's been delving into the continent's response, and Pierre Briançon, who can talk to us about Russia. Well, you're all very welcome. Nice speaking to you. Hi. So I think, George, we'll start with you. I mean, we were looking at this last week. I think there there was a lot of encouragement from the fact that oil and gas prices were coming down, but there's been a big shift again this week. Could you tell us what's what's been going on? Well, um, broadly speaking, Vladimir Putin has just turned off his main gas pipeline to Europe, which is a bit of a bit of a downer because um, the, the pipeline in question, Nord Stream 1, it goes from uh, um, Russia to Germany. And it's like the, the key, you know, obviously, um, Europe uh, is heavily dependent on Russia for gas and, and Nord Stream 1 is one of the main conduits. And basically, in the last couple of last couple of months, it's actually only been running at about 20% capacity. So in actual overall terms, it's not a kind of huge deal, but in terms of what it means, it kind of is because it it um, Russia has kind of dispensed. There's been a lot of back and forth on why has it been shut down? Is it for kind of technical reasons, and what are those technical reasons um, valid or? This time, Russia kind of just came out and said, "Well, we're going to keep it off until the West lifts sanctions on us," and that kind of gives gives the game away of. What was everyone kind of should have already known, which is that it's just a kind of power play, literal power play. And um, there's also a lot of Russian gas that goes to Europe via other means. And the, there's question marks over that. And all of that, all of which, you know, after the after the uh, relatively good news of power prices falling last week, uh, they pop back up again because of this. And also, you know, you have there's there's it, it kind of puts um Germany in particular, but but, um, Europe in general, in a really tricky spot going over this winter in terms of how much supply they're going to have and how much they're going to need to cut demand. And also, really, it kind of implies that um, things are going to look pretty tricky, not only this year, but uh, most of next year as well. And so that means gas prices will stay high and that means electricity prices will stay high because the latter are set and the price is set by the former. So all in all, uh, a bit of a downer. George, you kind of wrote that in a way that this isn't necessarily a bad thing because Europe, I guess this is now a reality that has dawned on Europe that Russia is not reliable to them as an energy supplier, even at 20%. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, I was slightly kind of 
rummaging around the back of the sofa trying to find some positives from this and uh, there there are some kind of positives in that you know while while there was this kind of dance around whether Nord Stream 1 was the pipeline was out of action because of technical reasons you could just if you were i mean picture yourself if you're a european energy um if you're a european politician you are you re- you really don't want to spend tens of billions of euros or possibly even more bailing out your entire energy system and if there's any kind of way of avoiding doing that you would prefer to do that but um now it's just got to the point where you know the rubber is going to hit the road and it's really everyone's going to have to have all hands to the pump they're going to have to kind of think about seriously how they're going to reduce demand and they're going to have to think seriously about how much money they're going to shovel to consumers to um, be able to pay their bills or to, to give them some kind of help because they don't then what's going to happen is a lot of people just aren't going to be you know bills are, bills in the uk alone are just probably going to uh, a very at very least double probably triple and you're just going to see a lot of people just not going to be able to pay their bills and a lot of energy companies going bust if unless the governments do something so the positive in so far as there was one was um we've got to a point where it should be just really obvious that you know that's what needs to happen and i mean this takes us so you mentioned the uk obviously prices yeah. going up dramatically and we have a new prime minister liz truss and she is talking about or it seems like a plan is coming out that we're going to see the energy prices like sort of capped and mm. then a loan situation where you know the the energy providers are offered a loan and then essentially that means that the cost i guess is spread out of of how expensive things are this year and lisa i just wondered if i could take you then if you could tell us what's going on in the continent because countries like germany and spain seem to be doing very different things to that so so they seem to be kind of leaning a little bit more on the actual energy providers themselves could you tell us a little bit about that Yes, um, so obviously the energy crisis or the energy security crisis, I mean, has become apparent the moment Russia invaded Ukraine in February. And the European governments, I mean, in various forms and shape, have tried to address, uh, you know, security of supply. I mean, that's been the first and main concern already since February. Um, let's just remind our listeners that Europe um, had been importing 140 billion cubic meters of gas each year from Russia. That's about a third of their gas needs. So obviously, you know, the thought was already clear in mind, you know, for everyone that, uh, you know, if you couldn't consider Russia as a reliable supplier anymore, you know, alternatives had to be found. Problem is that those alternatives, in particular, NNG, liquid uh, natural gas, are more expensive. And also the moment, you know, there is a message sent that there could be uh, a supply shortage, prices, you know, have shut up. And if you add that Putin has been playing games, you know, with kind of not sending through what was um, the normal sort of rate of supply, I mean, that's why, you know, you get uh, the the crisis. And uh, the other problem which uh, George mentioned is that the price of electricity in Europe is linked to the price of gas. I mean, it's a, it's a system whereby, you know, the most expensive technology, if you want, or rather, you know, source of energy is the one that sets the price. So in this case, it's gas. And that's why we've seen energy and electricity bills ballooning across the continent and also the UK. So in terms of response, it's been varied. Um, there are, there's, there's been a lot of money thrown at this already. So about 280 
80 billion euros in various forms of subsidies, chiefly, you know, so we have seen uh, handouts to uh, lower uh, poor households. I mean, this has been the case in Italy, for instance, of uh, caps uh, in France and in Iberia in different forms with the government uh, paying the, the gap, if you want, between the, the cap and the actual price. Is there's also um, obviously uh, there's been subsidies to fuel in general because it's not just the gas prices but you know our prices have gone up and and Germany has just announced you know more generalized if you want to you know support a, a scheme um, which I believe you know could cost I mean if I'm correct 65 billion but anyway you know even this 200 billion euro price that I mentioned. This is what's been spent up until now, but, you know, there are more and more calls from the industry and from, you know, consumers group to try and protect people from these high bills, you know, which keep spiraling. And so the, the, the ultimate price tag could go up much more. So now what is happening on the continent? So the European Union, I mean, the energy ministers are meeting on Friday for an energy uh, an emergency meeting to try and see whether they can devise a system that somehow limits the, con you know, the uncontrollable rise of prices. The problem is there isn't an accord yet, or it's kind of unclear, you know, what exactly can be done. I mean, one thing that seems to be gaining traction, one idea that seems to be gaining traction is the, uh, this idea that you should separate if you want. Uh, the renewables as energy sources from the fossil fuels, in particular gas, in setting the electricity price a little bit like uh, uh, the Iberian scheme, but maybe done in a more in a more market friendly way, let's say. But you know there is a growing debate about it. I mean, Greece has even proposed you know an outright separation of these two markets, you know, in the um, electricity production, for instance, you know, um, I mean, obviously there isn't yet an agreement, you know, and the question is, you know, will the solution work? You know, will this cap, you know, whether you put it at the electricity market, whether you put it at the gas market level work? Um, I mean, I have written in my piece that I kind of favor this idea of maybe trying to intervene on the electricity market rather than stopping outright the so-called TTF, you know, which is the sort and of benchmark. And obviously, Lisa, there is, there is actual, you know, there, there's, they are levying as well the actual industry, right? So they're doing windfall taxes, yes, um, not just on energy, but some banks, countries, and, some yeah. countries are doing that. Some countries have uh, decided, I mean, Italy is one of those, um, have decided to to basically tax the so-called extra profit that, you know, some energy providers, well, producers, have been uh, managed to get. I mean, there, there are, uh, I mean, some fossil fuel companies have obviously made, you know, extra profits. I mean, ENI, just to mention one, they have announced they will pay a 1.5 billion windfall tax, you know, as a, as a result of this government scheme. It's a way to try and and find resources to compensate for the support you're trying to um, give to households and industry. But there is a problem, you know, none of this is addressing the demand issue, because obviously, you know, if you were to somehow reduce demand, I mean, market is driven by supply and demand. So if supply is scarce, for the reasons we've explained, there's a war and, uh, and there are sanctions against Russia, and you're not doing anything to address the demand, um, I mean, it's unlikely that prices uh, will go down. But, you know, how do you 
through it without choking off the demand too much and then you know obviously triggering a recession which you know at the moment seems quite certain so maybe the last remark i will make is there are ways to save because there's a lot of wasted energy in uh, Europe, I mean, in developed countries. So there should be more effort put on savings, um, saving energy, and, and maybe incentivize companies that do not need to use so much gas. I mean, maybe incentivize, so spend the money to to help them be more efficient or just, you know, use less if they can at this Absolutely. crucial time. Absolutely. And George, if I could bring you back in, you mentioned, you know, searching around the back of the sofa for something positive. From your conversations with energy providers and bankers and people who are really looking at this day in, day out, is there a positive to be seen about the next few months as to what, how this is all going to work out? Or is there, is there any hope that, that people are finding that, that Europe and the UK and other countries that have been sort of really shocked by their energy prices, that they're finding solutions that might actually lead to a long-term well, sort yeah, of gain? Yeah, I mean... I mean, the, the um, Liz Trust scheme that you alluded to earlier, I mean, with the caveat that the details are still being nailed, nailed down, but the, the current thinking is actually potentially positive because you mentioned that one iteration of the scheme is for the customers to just basically, basically have a big IOU. They basically just pay back what they're not paying this year, the huge price they're not paying this year in installments over 10 years. Actually, what could happen is that the government just actually covers that with borrowing and doesn't make people pay it back. Now, but that would be quite surprising if they do do that because, I mean, this is like a kind of seen as a kind of right of centre government uh, that we've got here. But if they if they do do it like that, then that would be quite an enlightened way of doing it because it's it basically energy, energy prices, energy bills going through the roof are quite regressive and they hit the, the poorest people most. If you do it, if you do it all by taxation and um, plug that gap by taxation, then you can do it more progressively and make the richer people shoulder the, bur the burden. So, if there's a positive at all, that is that because people are getting to grips with it, realise the severity of this, they are they're pulling out all the stops and potentially doing it in an enlightened way, which which would be good news, I think. Absolutely, and I mean, Pierre, you're obviously our Russia expert. I mean. The, the, what I, I guess what I was thinking watching this all this week is, as you know, Putin decided to cut off the actual gas supply to Europe, this sure, surely has a, a significant financial hit to Russia's economy. What are you? What are your kind of thoughts on that? What is the sort of what's well, the thinking? Well, as of as, as many many decisions that Putin has taken this year and maybe in the past couple of years, it doesn't make sense economically. One, he's depriving his country from from a few billion uh, euros in in revenue from gas revenues. Two, contrary to what the Russian government has hinted, they, they cannot sell their gas elsewhere. Only Europe can buy Russian gas. The rest is fantasy. The rest, uh, pivot to China, or, you know, all the LNG. Here, why why this... is that? What are the what are the fun fundamental problems with 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 sending it? East well, okay, they don't have a pipe. They don't have a significant pipeline to pipeline to China. The last one they built took, uh, I think, 15 years from conception to actual uh, date of operation. So there's no quick turnaround for Russian gas. Russian gas is destined to. So what the, the the gas he doesn't sell, he has to burn. And actually, they started doing that in the last couple of uh, weeks. So if it doesn't make sense, and of course, okay, you can say. 
Russia has made a lot of money this year from the EU on energy exports. So far in the last six months, I mean, the first six months of the six months of the war, 88 billion euros. It's almost as much as the whole of last year. So you can say, okay, they have, they have enough money and they can last a few weeks. I mean, they can survive. You can afford for a few weeks, a couple of months of the shutdown of Nord Stream 1. But still doesn't make sense. The Russian economy is in deep recession. Imports are falling fast and they keep falling. The Russian industry is basically coming to a halt. You know, there's no way out of it. And uh, the Russian government, according to a document published by Bloomberg this week, will debate next week the two scenarios for the Russian economy, which is one, a recession, and the other, a deep recession. So it's not like, so if you want to absolutely have to say, we, we, we've, we, in the West, analysts or columnists or politicians, we've tried in vain to find a logic to, to put in. The only logic you can find, you understand through a bizarre video that was uh, produced this week by Gazprom, that looks like the trailer of a of a disaster weather movie that you, you saw in Hollywood that 10 or 12 years ago, you know? And it's all about how the winter is gonna be very cold. And as it happened, the video was produced, I think it was published yesterday or the day before, and it's warning Europe that, you know, this winter, you don't know how you're gonna get your heat, guys. And so it all, I mean, it all explains, I think, the fundamental bet that Putin is making. It's a very short-term bet. Again, he can't afford that to last for forever. It's a short-term bet in the hope that sanctions will be lifted, or at the very least that the the, the, the European Union will, uh, Europeans will be divided and they, they will finally lift sanctions. Maybe sh someone should tell him that in order to lift sanctions, unanimity is required. It's as difficult to lift sanctions as it is to vote and implement them. And so this will not happen, even if, which isn't the case, even if Europe, some Europeans had the political you know, intention to uh, go a little bit easy on, on, on Russia, this could not happen in the short term. So he's, a, he's, a, he in, I mean, he's in a dead end and they will keep promoting the idea that, okay, if you want decent heating and if you want to heat your homes at 20 degrees instead of 18, you have to, you have to uh, leave some sanctions. So pain all around, it sounds like, and hopefully a bit of hope. George, Lisa, Pierre, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I know we will be covering this uh, more over the next few weeks. So uh, I look forward to reading all of that. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Tashlich in London. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on a cast, megaphone, or wherever you like to listen. Check out our latest views on these stories and many others at breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews. <laughs> <laughs>